Hello, I'm Fern Cotton. Welcome back to Happy Place, the podcast where I delve into the lives of others and learn, hopefully, how they keep their shit together. Now, you find me at home in my happy place on a rather glorious snowy day. My kids are playing in the garden. You might even hear them squealing with joy in the background. Now, this episode, let me tell you about it. I've just listened back to it and Dawn French Oh my goodness, what a joy she is. So full of honesty and wisdom and just tells her story so eloquently. I know you're just going to love it. I sort of skim life, you know, taking what I can at the high speed, unless I stop a bit. And I've only learnt that recently. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And now, here's the show. So, I am rather excited right now. I'm on a train. With some snacks and my little magazines and my little notebook going through some lovely lush and stretching scenery to arrive eventually in Cornwall. There are a few people out there that I properly admire and feel inspired by and this person I'm going to meet in Cornwall is certainly one of them. She's someone that has reached heady heights of one career and now has gone on to completely master another. So she's gone from comedienne to novelist quite swiftly and massively successfully. And what I really admire about this person is the fact that she's very, very authentic. She's definitely someone that I think makes gut decisions and brave decisions and has a lot of self-confidence in a really good way. So what I want to find out from her today is I want to sort of dig a little deeper into that self-confidence and into that courage and find out how you get to that place where you can make those sorts of decisions. So it's time to go and knock on the front door of Dawn French's house. A seagull. This is perfect. Hello? Hello, it's Fern Cotton here. No, we don't have your tight round here. Sorry. I've travelled such a long way, Dawn. <laughs> Come on in. Dawn, I'm, I'm thrilled that you said yes to me talking to you today. Of course. Since I was a kid, I've been a fan of what you do. Good taste. Looking back over your life, so first of all, you moved around a lot as a kid. Yeah. And then you were in Cornwall and Devon for a, a while in your childhood. I was. When did the thought spring up that you were going to go to London and that was going to be, that's a big move to make as a young person yeah. to go, I'm leaving the comfort of my home and what I know for yeah. something quite big and scary. Yeah. I think it was deciding to go to drama college. And uh, I think I had a bit of a crush on my own drama teacher at school. I just thought she was exactly who I wanted to be. I thought I want to be her, I want to sound like her, I want to look like her. I want to do her job. And so I decided, quite, I mean, I must have been about 13 or 14 when I thought, yeah, I want to be a drama teacher. That's what I want to do. So where did she go? I want to go there. And I just want her job whenever she, she's ready to give it up. <laughs> so I found out where she went to drama school, which is at Central School of Screech and Trauma in, in <laughs> London. And so that's really what decided uh, me to go to London. Mm. You know, I... I 
I went there because that's where that college was. Mm. Now, I was due to go there and then my dad died. So mm. I was about to defer my entrance to drama school for a year. And my mum said, you mustn't do that. You must go now. So I went there literally within weeks of my dad dying in very tragic circumstances. Mm. But but in that year, uh, you know, the same year as me was Jennifer. And so, you know, if I hadn't gone then, which I was resisting doing because I thought I can't leave my mum on her own mm. um, and not go. Um, the deferral of another year was that I was very lucky that when I was at school, I won a scholarship um, to study in America. So I was due to go to that college that year, but deferred it for a year because I went to America instead and lived in America when I was 18 in New York for a year. Wow. And that was a big decision, I guess. That was a big change. So I went to live in New York before I went to live in London. So London didn't look so scary yeah, I bet. after New York, which was just a giant shock. Yeah. But I think some people would go, Oh, that's not for me. I, that's that is too much. But for you, that felt quite natural to take that leap and well, to know it's happening. Yes, I mean, I knew that I was gonna be part of this scholarship program, and I think it was twelve kids or something from this school went to America, and twelve kids came. To that. It was an exchange program, and uh, you had to do debating to win a place on it, and that's what I did. So I won a place on it. Then they asked us where we'd like to be in America, and you had to fill out a list. New York was right at the bottom of my list. Cities, no. I'm a mm. country girl. Mm. So I had put places like um, Oklahoma and uh, Texas because mm. I thought I could ride horses yeah, there. Yeah. In the perverse way that the English speaking union was back then, they put me, and I was the only one who didn't say New York. They gave me New York. Brilliant. And the other kids, when they must have ended up in Wyoming. Horse riding on the weekend. Yeah, exactly. So I was in New York and I remember hearing I was going to New York and thinking, oh no, mm. well, I'm going to get murdered now. Mm. That, that wasn't part of the plan. <laughs> so I had not really even decided, right, New York, here I come. No, no. It, it just like happened. That. I thought it was a bit of an accident. But you still did it. Still you could have said it. no. Absolutely went. And uh, what I do know is that on the plane, on the way there, I remember thinking, these people that I'm going to see and live with now do not know me. So I can be anything. Mm. I don't have to be the person I've been up till now who mm. perhaps has had a bit of anxiety about stuff and I've been lacking confidence about this and that. For all they know, I'm this very confident person. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is pretend to be mm. that. And it is true, isn't it? That if you pretend to do something somehow your real confidence it just gives your real confidence a holiday for a minute yes. and a chance to catch up yeah with fake that it till you make it exactly that i, exactly I get that. that even when i go on holiday i think oh i'm gonna be a bit of a, a jazzier version of myself for this two weeks <laughs> in ibiza thank you very much i mean i'm really not but in my head i can i can wear a little anklet bracelet you yeah, know i can wear a caftan yeah Look check what me I'm out doing. i know it's wonderful isn't it that so, you know, you had, a, I guess, there an element of fate, but also, again, you it felt right and it was that instinct for you to make that decision. And like you said, you'd also been through a massively rocky time, yeah. having to experience, and you've talked very eloquently about this in your beautiful autobiography and in your show yeah. and publicly about your dad yeah. and his suicide. Yes. And the huge impact that it had on your life. Yeah. Do you think that's had any bearing in how you make decisions? Sort of being then morbidly aware of life being very short and very delicate. Yes, I guess it has really. Because I think for a while actually, until quite recently, 
I think I have always thought that I wouldn't make old bones. Really? That, yeah, and I I, th- I don't know if that was just a measure of mm. things happening at, at a weird time of my life, you know, being 19 and losing your dad made me think, oh, God, maybe we don't live very long. Mm. Maybe So, yes, it may be true that I grasped any opportunity I could, but I was aware that I thought, well, oh, gosh, I need to get old enough to grow my daughter a bit into her 20s at least then she'd manage without me after that I was thinking like that which is ridiculous I didn't even know why I was thinking like that and it's possibly to do with losing my dad so early possibly that yes thinking life's a bit fragile and it can be a bit temporary and uh, we've just got to be mindful of that I Mm. guess I was thinking that but not in the front of my mind but in the back of my mind I was thinking that but more recently I mean I've turned 60 recently and I definitely now have a completely different attitude Um, and I don't know if it's just crept up on me or something I don't know if I'm maybe a bit happier or something I don't even know what it is but I now want to make old bones Mm. whereas I think I thought I wouldn't so I didn't expect it Mm. but now I'm totally expecting that and be very furious if if I didn't (laughs) so you know I, I am definitely making the best of every minute if if I can Although, having said that, making the best of every minute is sometimes being very quiet. Oh, that's my favourite best moment ever, is just being really quiet and chilled and with very few people. Yeah. Isn't it the best? Well, that, I realise again that I think, and I think this might be to do with being an REF kid, where Mm. you move a lot. Mm. So you put on a bit of a firework display to make new friends. Yeah. You you don't want anyone to leave you out. So you're being the funniest girl you can be to Mm. attract people to you. And then I realise actually, I think I'm quite an introvert in truth. Yeah. I'm I'm skilled at being a, uh, a pretend extrovert Mm. but the truthful me is an introvert Mm. and so quiet time is the most valuable and it's when my brain works properly yeah it doesn't work properly otherwise it just Mm. I sort of skim life you know taking what I can at the high speed um, unless I stop a bit and I've only learned that recently to be my true nourishment if you Mm. like I think it's quite difficult in this day and age to feel at peace with that as well because I feel very much the same and I think we're trained culturally to go oh you're you're missing out on something or you're not living to your full vibrancy and extent and actually you have to make what that is and set those rules and understand the measure of that and no one else can tell you that and I, you know, I very much love being in small groups and being at home, a real homebody. But I do still sometimes go, oh, am I not living life to the max or whatever that means, you know? <laughs> yeah, but you get pressured. Mean? I don't know. Well, and you, can't, you haven't got enough minutes left no. in your life to do absolutely everything. And you will miss some things. Mm. We just had a conversation now fine. about something you might have missed last night. And you think, oh, damn, I missed that because I was yeah. doing that. But you were doing something. And even yeah. when you are reading a story to your kids or just being quiet or having a bath or watching the telly or anything you're still living Mm. so long as you haven't and only you know when you've retreated Mm. from your life purposefully yeah yeah and if you've done that that's that's more worrying Mm. and I know Mm. moments when I've done that when I've gone it's all too frightening Mm. step away step away um and that wasn't to step away and think it was to step to run away to hide which is a different thing flight like that is more frightening Mm. but even then occasionally I think that is welcome 
Mm. And when you've had those moments, how do you then get back to what feels like you and recalibrate and feel like centered and able to then take those big chances again in life? How have I done that? If I've run away at all, or if I've been frightened at all, I think I've got quite a strong kind of inner voice. Mm. Now, whether this is, you know, I could easily put that down to my dad also. Um, and part of it, I think, is that, is is knowing that I still have his guidance, if you like, mm. inside me, that there's a kind of fuel that helps my life that is driven by him and by yeah. lots of advice from him. However, I'm also aware that I do lionize him a certain mm. amount because I, I lost him at a particular age where he's still a bit of a hero. Yeah. So he didn't get to be smelly, grumpy, uh, uh, bossing, interfering old dad mm. who I mm. could dislike a bit. He was still a bit of a shiny hero. So I definitely have a certain amount of that. But likewise, my mum, who's no longer here either, uh, but the two of them together, the, the guidance and the security of their love was very very strong and I think I've got a very strong inner voice that says come on just when I'm at moments where yeah. I could tip off a ledge and 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 so I I never will tip off the ledge yeah because I've got I've got that anchor yeah and it's and it's and it's very valuable isn't it yeah it really is I can get you out of some shitty bits because I, I feel the same I've been to points where I've run and hid and then actually you do have a, whatever it is, another power, something bigger than anything else yeah. that gets you out of it. And it is sort of inexplicable and maybe it, it is. It is, but I think it is your driving force. Yeah. It's your need to live and your need to survive and your purpose, if mm, you like. Mm. You've also got kids. Yeah. And as soon as there are, and that's another massive decision, isn't it? Huge. Huge. I, I wanted to talk to you about that because... When you adopted Billy, yeah. who I've had the pleasure of meeting a few yeah. times when she was a, a lot younger, myself yeah. and Reggie used to play with her at Comic Relief and yeah. hang out. That <laughs> is, you know, no small undertaking. Being a parent is a minefield, as you well know. Yeah. But sitting there and sort of making a decision with your partner that you're going to adopt yeah. and take on a child is game-changing in every way. Did you know instantly that that felt right to you? Or was that, you know, long nights of conversations? I knew I was, I knew I wanted to definitely be a mother mm. I knew that and that was a very strong instinct then what happened was my body wouldn't let me be a mother mm. and everything kept failing all the time failing failing uh you know for all sorts of reasons so I thought then oh I see this is not something that's going to come easy to me but I'm refusing to walk away from this I want this so much so because we kept having all sorts of problems getting pregnant and then miscarriages and all the rest of it and my desire to do it became very, very strong. And I mm. got a bit over single-minded <laughs> about it. Mm. And then we had to make a big decision to put aside IVF and stuff and to go for adoption. And when you go for adoption, you go through all kinds of, they put you through the mm. ringer, really. You know, you do lots of interviews and you talk about yourself, about your partner, about the marriage, about what you're like under stress, what, you know, all sorts of things. 60 hours, I think it was, of mm. interviews. And you really do have to think about whether this is the right thing to do. And all it did was kind of gird me onwards. Um, I just knew that this is something I wanted to do come hell or high water. And however difficult it was going to be, even though we, because we hadn't been able to be pregnant naturally, which I think 
might make it a bit easier might not I don't know we did have to think about it a lot Mm -hmm. and we had to talk about the state of our relationship Mm -hmm. and what we might be like as parents and Mm -hmm. who our parents were Mm -hmm. and how we were brought up you know we had to think about things we hadn't thought about at all yeah I remember in some of those interviews I remember sitting there listening to Len uh, because he was asked specifically to talk about me and I was asked to talk about him in front of each other uh interesting gosh uh, you know when someone said what is she like under stress yeah. mm. <laughs> i wouldn't want to hear my husband's answer exactly. to that question be honest and you are honest yeah and so this was a very interesting exploration of all sorts of stuff mm. in fact there was a time when jennifer <laughs> the the adoption people said to me uh, we need to talk to some of your friends about you, about this relationship and stuff. And this is what they do. They were very, they're very thorough. And that yeah. was 26 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they they asked me to come up with a list of names, three sets of people who they might go and talk to. So I put, and my best, best friend is called Geraldine. So I put Jerry and Barry, who and that's her chap. Um, and then I put Jen and Aid, and then I think there was somebody from Len's family or whatever. Uh, so I gave those names and thinking, oh, they'll go and see Jerry and Barry and they're my best friends. So, you know, they'll give a good account of us. And she came back to me and said, well, I thought you were very brave, you know, nominating a kind of gay couple as your first choice. I said, well, well, that's all well and good that they're not a gay couple as it happens. It's <laughs> yeah. Geraldine and Barry. Um, it's not Jerry and Barry. Um, as you're thinking but you know if it was would that be a problem said no 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 but because of that we decided to go to the second choice which was Jennifer and Aid so I said okay and I thought yeah I'm I'm pretty sure I know why you've gone to the second choice (laughs) Um, but anyway they went to visit Jennifer and I remember her talking to me the day before and saying you know right they're coming to our house and they're going to talk to us all about you guys Um, this is a bit nerve-wracking and I said well you know obviously you're going to big us up <laughs> she yeah. said yeah I'm just going to say you're great people and that, that's the end of it and then when I saw her the day after she said honestly Dawn I've never known anything like that because of course what they explained was yes we're coming to talk to you about your friends but don't give us some ridiculous thing where they're just the perfect people where nobody's the perfect people mm. we need honesty from you and you are going to answer these questions on behalf of this future child It's not about your friends. It's about this kid. So please answer honestly. I'm guessing this might be the moment that if, oh, I don't know, in some people's relationships, you know, if if you knew that he was knocking her about or something, this was the moment you might Mm, say, oh, mm. do you know what? Don't let this get back to them. But she said she had to really (laughs) scrape around in her mind (laughs) for anything bad she could think to say. And she told them anything she could. (laughs) think of quite the opposite of what she said she was going to do but because she was being responsible Mm, about this potential mm, kid Um, and in fact you know everything was fine in the end and Billy came to us but again it was it was a decision that kind of had incremental forward movement in it it wasn't like oh let's get pregnant tomorrow and that's what happened Mm. we had to really stick at it and we were so amazed when she turned up because, you know, I didn't have that conversation in depth with my husband. And you sort of think, well, why didn't we? We were about to become parents, but you just go, oh, should we have a baby? And that sort of is the last of it. And then you're going, oh, my God, how do we keep this child alive? And, and is our relationship surviving? And you don't have that chat before. And actually, yeah. it's a really healthy thing to it do. It wouldn't hurt to. It wouldn't it really hurt, wouldn't to, hurt at to at all. But it can be, you know, you have to be 
fairly resilient absolutely, about it. But, absolutely. It, but, but you find out things. Mm, mm. And even if they're things you think, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know you wanted to yeah. open a pub. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> never cropped up before. <laughs> I didn't know that was your greatest wish. Um, it wasn't, I hasten to add. But, um, <laughs> you know, you, yeah, you, this, these were weird moments where unless mm. you're in counselling or something, yeah, yeah, when yeah. do you ever explore? No. You, you go at your Jane. life, you know, with great hope don't absolutely you? absolutely and in a way that's right if you can get pregnant naturally of course you should jump in and not many people would stop to have all of that kind of inspection close inspection of their relationship but like I say wouldn't hurt I don't think it harms at all I think it's a no. really healthy good thing to do yeah just taking sort of inventory of what of what's been going on and what has been and what's hopefully about to be yeah so I want to talk to you about you and Jennifer, obviously, because not only are you brilliant friends, but you have inspired so many people out there in so many ways and brought joy and laughter to the masses. And for that, you know, we can... speak on behalf of all the people out there that have been you know thank you because oh. god we need more laughter in this world but, we yeah, need well, more entertainment me for having a life where i got to be in the dressing up box oh, showing heaven. off with yeah. my mate mm. frankly i should be thanking you for letting me do that no, but- i basically never came out of my childhood mm. bedroom yeah. Uh, I invited my friend Jennifer in mm. and we stayed in there. That's mm. that's what happened. It wasn't, again, you know, we didn't meet each other and think, hey, wh- how can we forge ahead and be no. women in a men's world of comedy? We didn't do that. No. We shared a flat. We made each other laugh. Yeah. We m- made some people at college laugh. We then found out I went off to be a teacher, Jen- which was, a you know, quite a strong decision, as I've said. Mm-hmm. That definitely was going to be the path I wanted to follow. And I was quite um, responsible about it all. Jennifer was the one who wasn't and was living in Chelsea and drinking champagne and doing the crossword and didn't have a job <laughs> and had time to look in in newspapers and see um, in the stage, I think it was, an advert from the comic strip where mm. they desperately needed women. Mm. Honestly, any women that had walked in would have got that job. Really? I believe that to be true. But you must believe that there's like a, you guys had a certain spark and something that made, set you apart. Well, even if you hadn't we got were your... okay, but yeah. seriously, if you'd seen our act then, it wasn't great. <laughs> but neither were the boys that great. No. You know, we were all a bit rubbish together and we all learnt a lot together. Mm. But they knew that to be an alternative group of people, you know, on stage in Soho with, with Dustin Hoffman and Jack Nicholson in the audience, because it was a hit place to go. Yeah, yeah. That we, we weren't at all hip. It mm. was just that it became a bit of a thing, uh, that kind of alternative comedy thing. Um, and it was in a, you know, in a strip club and it was late at night and stuff. It was absolutely terrifying in mm. many ways. I bet when it we was. went even for the audition. Yeah. But I did not know then how un-PC it was of them to not have any women in the lineup. Mm. So, as I say, to be honest, if you had bosoms and you walked in, I think you would have got the job. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a good job that you turned and up And we all. just were Thank the first God. two and we had bosoms galore. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we all know what happened in your career and we've all loved watching it. Was there a moment where yourself and Jennifer kind of sat down and said, right, we're not going to do our TV show anymore. Let's go off and do our own thing again. Or again, is that a very natural inclination that you both just started doing different things? Well, we had always, even when we were doing French and Saunders, the two of us had gone off and done separate things all the way through. 
odd little things to begin with, which was difficult. You know, we kind of went, ooh, what's happening to the double act? I'm doing yeah, yeah. And that's when we were earning five quid a night and we needed the money for our rent. You yeah. know, it's, so we were checking on each other all the time. But then I thought, oh, relax, relax. So she's going to do that little thing. I'm going to do this little thing. And then we would carry on doing the double act, which was the mainstay of everything. Yeah. But then big opportunities came, like uh, Vicar of Dibley mm. came along with Richard and that was a big deal. And again, Ab Fabio only came along because I stepped aside to have Billy, mm. you know, to receive mm. Billy into our mm. lives in a secret way. And mm. Jennifer stepped up and took the studios that were booked for French and Saunders and she took them because we had it all booked. We, we were writing stuff. We had the crew booked, everything. And I said, Jen, a baby has arrived. It's yeah, and she went, right, yeah. go, go, run, yeah. go. I'll um, do something. And we had, just the previous year, we'd done a sketch of a mother and daughter that we enjoyed doing and that she was particularly good at. Mm. And in fact, it was one of the longest sketches we've ever done because we enjoyed it so much that we we indulged it a bit. Yeah. And I think it was I think it was 18 minutes long. So it was half a show, pretty much. And she said, I'll take that sketch and mm. I'll make that into a sitcom. And I was like, good luck, good luck. Off I go. Wow. So she was covering for me like a good sister. But then she had the audacity to go and make a really good show <laughs> without me. What a cow. So that was very selfish. <laughs> so I was at home having my dream come true, mm. which was this baby arriving mm. in my life, but also having to witness her being rather good on her own, which I didn't, yeah, I wasn't aware she even had those abilities. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course that's I knew, real, but I, yeah. you know, but it was very generous and I did a few little bits on it and whatever. And that is her baby and her mm, kind mm. of, um, all Jennifer's best stuff that she can do is is in our fab. Mm. And it was a great time for her. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I did um, Vicar of Dibley. But what would often happen is whatever we were doing separately, we would come back together and realise that kind of stories about what had happened in the separate things, separate little projects were hilarious mm. mainly about other actors and how people behave and stuff because we have quite a shorthand Jennifer and I we, you don't get away with much nonsense yeah. with us two there's yeah. no blowing smoke up your ass or mm-hmm. any of that stuff there's no, not much complimenting actually <laughs> it's quite it can be quite brutal because mm. the shorthand mm. is there but you have to remember not to do that mm. with other actors <laughs> when they come along that you do have to bit of, do a bit yes, of that might be blowing a the smoke and mm. you know making it all right but we always came back together again the, the only time when we actually did decide that we'd done enough when it came to the sketch show was I think we'd done a final tour and we were very tired I think at Mm. the end of it and there was a chance to do another TV series and I think both of us knew that we kind of done the sketches enough yeah and that every time we sat down to write some more we mainly were writing more of the same characters and we didn't want to play school kids anymore yeah whatever just at a certain age where it Mm. just felt a bit undignified and just didn't make us laugh as much as it had done so we said let's just call time on this and seriously that happened in a meeting we're sitting down with our agent and I went oh do you think and she went "Mm, I think maybe and that was it that we just said let's not do that sketch show anymore and that again is a brave thing because you could cling on to that for dear life for years and you could you could you know people would always watch it and you could eke it out but again it's having that courage and conviction to go let's leave it where it is because it's yeah. perfect yeah. as it is. Yeah, and because there were other things to do yeah. as well. Yeah. There were th- things calling both of us yeah. 
But what I do miss about it is that one of the main reasons we did that was to have time together. Mm. And because we don't schedule in time for a job, we see much less of each other. Which is, I I realise, you know, that would have been the case all along if we weren't working together. But, you know, it meant that we had six months at least of every year together and we don't have that so much now we see each other all the time of course we do and she lives up the an hour up the road there you know and we know each other's kids very well and whenever we can see each Mm, other we do mm. but it's that was part of the joy of doing that was that we just had more time but there's little things on the horizon for both of us and we keep talking about we've got a film idea that we'd like to do together and there's various things that we'd love to do and and what it really means is that she and I have both got to say right you know 2019 yeah let's just put it aside and yeah. work together and find something that we want to but do when you've got that alchemy and that magic that's that you know it's quite rare that it you've is, got yeah. that friendship and that work connection yeah it's true you've got to go back to it for everyone's sake but for yours because it's that glorious feeling of I guess fulfillment that you won't get anywhere else in work well it's and so natural and, and frankly nobody else in the world makes me laugh like she yeah. does and you know what it's like if somebody's funny, you 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 just want more of them. Of course. Simple as that. It's like a it's a tonic, isn't it? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Other huge moments in your life and yes. big decisions you've had to make. Yeah. When you know a relationship is not working anymore yes. and making the decision and the commitment yes. for that to end. That is a huge one that we've all been through on yes. some level, but in varying degrees. Yes. And it's always heartbreaking and tragic, but somehow, you know, it feels right down the line. How have you dealt with that sort of decision yourself? Well, I think I took a long time to come to the realisation that, that my first marriage was uh, on its uppers partly because we were still very good friends yeah and so there was no big animosity or hatred or anything like that going there was no throwing and slapping Mm. going on I think that maybe that makes it easier when there's a sort of reason where you go I hate you because of that so get out Mm. Uh, but it wasn't like that it was kind of slow and a realization and I had a kind of voice in the back of my head that I started to listen to a bit more and I have learned to do that mm. more often mm. about more things that my instincts are usually pretty sharp and that I need to listen to inner voices m- most definitely and give myself the quiet to hear them mm. and then to decide what is right and what is just a bit of paranoia or what is yeah. you know what's true instinct but we've all got it yeah. we've all got it yeah and certainly when it comes to your own real life you think mm, I think this might be done. And I think he might be thinking that it's Mm. done too. But because we're linked in every way by marriage and and everything that marriage means, which is the investment of all the time that you've put in, all the care that you've put in, all the forgivenesses that you've done, all the insensitivities that you've got past, all the mistakes you've made and forgiven, all all the joys all the laughter, all this stuff Mm. adds up to a great big mountain that it looks like you can't get 
over mm. but you have to get yeah. over it if you if you've got those voices that are saying to you or that voice rather it's like a little for me it was like a little mantra that was very very distant in the back of my mind and it just got louder and louder mm. and I thought oh no I think this is really loud and in fact I think it was a relief when I suggested it yeah but it took a while to get to that mm. it took a while to get to mm. it and um when I suggested, I think he was just glad that I'd been the one that said it. Yeah. Um. And then, and then we had to talk for a long time, and we had to unpick whether we were doing the right thing, mm. and we had to discuss how we would do it, and how we would transition into being good parents that weren't living together. Mm. And we took a long time to do that. Yeah. You know, we we didn't even tell our friends. We we just talked a lot mm. um for hours and hours about everything. And it was very interesting time actually because it was you know, a bit like when we did the adoption, I guess. We kind of explored everything. We got our knapsacks off. Yeah. And we emptied them out, you know, mm. and for good or bad, we looked at what was there and we said, "Okay, well all these all, all this history and everything it's it's wonderful to have had and we've we will always be friends yeah we will always yeah. uh, back for each other we will always be kind but we can't live together anymore we yeah. have to make sure this is okay for billy we have to do it the right way and we have to just be kind going forward mm. and be mindful of everybody of all the boundaries and mm-hmm. the things that come at you that you don't even know yeah like you know his family were my family mm. for nearly 30 mm. years mm. how do you suddenly not have them as your family yeah or, or how do you learn to step back so that someone else can move in mm. so that they can become their family yeah now yeah. which is not something I ever thought I would even mm. have to think about yeah you just think these are my this is my sister-in-law these yeah. are all my sister-in-laws and my mm. brother-in-laws and my nephews and nieces and I'm completely bound up in their life mm. how do I step back from this and but you have to yeah the, you know but you work it out slowly as you go along and so long as you're being decent you can work it out because mm. you can even say do you know what I need you to back off from that that and that and I'll back off from this this and this but please be sure to tell them that, you know, I still care a lot and mm-hmm. whatever. So you, you just have to help each other through it. Yeah. Well, that's remarkable because, like you say, you know, there are no rules with this, but as long as you're decent and that you're being kind to each other, yeah. you can get through these, you know, really tricky times and, and unpicking so much history. And, yeah. and it is remarkable that you're friends and that well, you've both done that. Really? For Billy's sake. Yeah, um, of course. As much as anything, but also for our own mental health yes. if you like we'd been massively good friends and good support to each other for a mm, very long time mm. and so that doesn't just disappear no uh, however irritated you might be or whatever what what's more difficult is that when you're together you can have very long and I think this is why we held on for quite a long time you can have long discussions about how something might be mm. and you can hear all the nuances and the feelings that someone's having all their worries or their anxieties or you know you can quell someone's fears about Mm. something you go oh I see you're worrying about that god I'm not worrying about that at Mm. all Mm. I'm worrying about this you know so you can you can investigate stuff yeah in a way that you can't when you're apart yeah when you're apart all of that becomes much smaller yeah and it's just handed in bite-sized chunks and you think what why, why are you saying that? Yeah. Uh, but 
what you have to remember is your history. Mm. That person will be saying that because they haven't thought about this, this and this. Yeah. Um, and you might be saying something curt mm. that doesn't need to be said in that way. Mm-hmm. How does that sound in mm-hmm. a text? Yeah. Actually, Dawn, that sounds a bit sharp. Mm. So, you know, just think, just think about making everything all possible. Absolutely. And, you know, Absolutely. So, that, so that's, that, that's all I would advocate is yeah. just try to be kind because it does come back. Of course, and like you say, it's good for your own mental health. You know, it is keeping things calm and civilized is always going yeah. to benefit you in every way. Yeah. I'm, I'm aware that also, you know, not everyone has the same circumstances. Yeah, of and, course, you know, yeah. if you've got big anger, so be it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One thing that I absolutely love about you is the fact that you have changed up your career constantly in small ways and in huge ways. And the biggest way being more recently, still doing stuff on TV, still doing comedy, still hosting things. But writing has become such a huge part of what you do. And I love your books and I, I read your autobiography and I love your novels. Thank you. How, again, was that moment, that sort of seminal moment of going... Well, I like doing this. This is really fun. I get a lot of joy from it. And I'm going to throw everything into it because you don't, you know, none of us know if a project that we enjoy doing is going to go and it's yeah. going to run. Yeah. And, and it has with you again. And you've established yourself as an author and a very successful one. So yeah. did you always feel there was something in it or did you just think it's worth a shot? Well, what happened was that somebody wrote a book about me and it was the most devastating thing that I think I'd experienced other than infertility and my dad's death it was devastating because I couldn't protect my family from Mm. it and it was a very bad book um in as much as it was badly written and ill ill written and ill researched so lots and lots of tiny mistakes were in it it was written by a journalist and I didn't have a book about myself out there and had no intention of doing that. Wasn't, I was too young and I didn't want to do it yet. But she wrote a book about me and it felt like a giant bully mm. was trying to bully me. And I've never been available for bullying. Mm. But I, I now understand that however much you might feel that you can stop a bully, sometimes you can't yeah. stop them. So what you have to do is change how you behave Mm. around it. Mm. So when she wrote lots of inaccuracies about my mum and dad's marriage, which upset my mother enormously, where she wrote, she insinuated that I had shame around my dad's suicide, which was the last, I had sadness, massive Mm. sadness, shame. No, And that was like making it worse. Yeah. So anyway, that book came out and it was so awful that I thought, oh, I'm going to have to now write a book. And even that, I thought, have I been bullied into, <clears throat> excuse me, writing my own autobiography? But I thought, no, because I think that I can write a better one. And yeah. I think I can uh, use this as an opportunity to see if I can write. Mm. I've never sat down on my own in a room to write something. Uh, but if I'm going to do that, I know this story yeah. better than I know any other story. Mm. So let's see. And that was the first chance that I had had I think in my whole life ever since school of writing my a story on my own because mm. I'd always written in collusion with Jennifer yeah. you know with uh, collaborations all the way through my life mm. mainly with other women you know I've got a clothes shop with another woman I've got uh, so I sat in a room and I wrote that book and the joy I had from the writing I thought oh oh I think this is what I do mm, <laughs> and it was, a, it was late on in life to realize it mm. and I couldn't wait to get back to it I enjoyed I thought oh I think I've come up with a method of I'm going to write letters to 
everybody. I'm going to write to people in my mm. life. And that way, whoever's reading it can kind of eavesdrop my personal letters to people. Mm. Obviously, I'm, you know, keeping some things private. But I'm going to be as honest as I can in these letters. And I'm going to address several of them to my dad. Mm. And I'm going to say some goodbyes here. Mm. And I'm going to say some hellos mm. in other ways in, in, in letters. And I'm going to write to Jennifer. I'm even going to write to Madonna. I'm even going to write to David Cassidy as the young <laughs> me who was completely in love with him. You know, I'm just going to do it that way. And once I had the method... I just loved writing it and mm. and it did well, luckily. And then I thought, oh, okay. And the publishers came to me and said, what about a novel? And I thought, oh, no, no, that's, I think grown-ups do that, don't they? <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, maybe I am grown-up. God, okay. <laughs> and it coincided with the time when I had decided I wanted to move back down to the West Country. Yes. And I thought, this is ideal. This will put me quietly in a room in my own head. Mm. With myself for company, without what, needing the collaborations. What made you want to move here to sort of... Because that's a huge shift from hectic London to coming down to this beautiful paradise that you now live in. Coming home yeah. is what it was. I, I was always going to come back here. Yeah, you were. At one mm. point or another. I mean, I lived up near London because that's where my life was yeah. every day. I even moved out of London. I was in London for a long time, then I moved out of London. My daughter has never lived in London. So mm. for 20 years of her life... We lived near Reading, yeah. uh, but we were in the countryside a little bit. And then, you know, I was just gradually coming up the yeah. M4 <laughs> until nice. I got home. Um, and my mum, when she was alive, lived uh, two villages down from here. Mm. And my brother lives 30 minutes that way. And my cousins live another 20 minutes that way. And so, uh, you know, and it's by the sea, which has a massive calling for you to oh, come back. Yeah. And I just knew I would. But I knew that while I was working in London, that it was going to be harder to do. Mm. But I eventually, I came looking. And I knew I knew that I was hell bent on it. And I thought, I remember standing on the beach next to this house. And I had a, had a look around the inside of it. And it was in a bit of a state. But I thought, oh, I need a bit of dosh to do this up. And I called Jennifer. And I said, look, I've seen this place. And I know I want to live there. But we've got to go on tour. Uh, how about it? And she said, I think she said something like, oh, yes, I'm doing my conservatory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that was seriously how we made the That's decision brilliant. to go on tour. That is brilliant. But I quite like having a purpose like that. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, Peter yeah. Kay does it, you know, mm, the Granny's Bungalow tour or sure. the whatever. Have a goal, have a purpose <laughs> for it. And it just coincided with she was fine with that. And yeah. it, it made us get on with writing something. So it's good. How much do you think that this beautiful setting, you've got the beautiful little beach here and it is very peaceful like you know even I said to you when I was outside I felt quite teary being out of hectic London and yeah. and amongst this how yeah. much do you think it affects your daily mental well-being and how you go about your business hugely I think that my problem with being in busy places which I also love for different reasons mainly because of the people you know yeah. some, lots of people that I know and love live uh, country but I find that I get quite upset by constantly seeing difficult things. So I've been a bit cowardly in a way because I find it, when I go to London and I see, I look at people's faces and I think, oh, she's cold. Oh, that person hasn't got anywhere to go tonight. Oh, yeah, God, they're, they're dealing with something. Mm. Oh, God, he looks like he's off his face. Oh, dear. And I just, it, my whole insides are upset. 
mm. all the time. Mm. Plus, added to that, I have the thing that we talked about earlier, which is, oh, I should be at that play. Oh, God, I should be just seeing that. Oh, God, should be seeing that person. Oh, God, uh, I haven't tried that. Well, somebody said they make great pasta in that. I'm mm. not there. I should go there for my lunch. And I just find it the clutter, overwhelming. The clutter of it overwhelming exactly mm. that and i and i think i'm not meant for a city although that's silly after having lo- lived in new york which i loved living in london which i loved but i'm not that isn't the real me the real me is qu- quiet and the inner quiet in me resonates with the outer quiet here mm. and i mean you know this is without a doubt beauty here yeah so you know i can do nothing but connect with that mm. and be it makes me calm it makes me happier and it sort of infuses my mind with better ways of thinking mm. that's all it is mm. although I am aware I really am aware and it's a I have a slight guilt about this but which I need to process a bit that I've stepped away from difficult thinking mm. You know, I, I'm giving myself, my brain, some time off from that. But I'm aware it's all up there and mm. I've still got to do my bit towards it. If there's things I can do to help, I will yeah. do them. But I also have to preserve a bit of time for my family and for my own brain. And you have done that. You know, we've all seen you do so much charity work and, and fight for causes that you're very passionate about. Yeah. And do you think also some of it is you feel like you've had a lot of pain and suffering in your own life and actually now it is time to regain some energy and and do something you love like you're writing here and looking at the ocean and that's and that's a new phase for you now yeah it is I mean the the thing I do here much more than I ever did anywhere else is I walk Mm. and you know I've got a dog I had an old dog that died last year and I only lasted six months before the new nippy dog that I've got now but (laughs) that means that when my old man goes off to work in the morning I go out with the dog for an hour and we walk on a beach or we walk up that hill or we walk up that hill or whatever but wherever we are there's it's fresh air Mm. and we're in the countryside or we're by the sea and I'm grateful for it every single day Mm. and I will never ever 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 take it for granted not ever Mm. and it's what I've longed for so you know I've I've achieved something that I've longed for and silly jokes have made that possible (laughs) dressing up like a silly girl isn't that so has made it possible yeah well like I said you know I'm, I'm in the dressing up box well look Dawn to be in this beautiful house and to chat to you about all these fascinating corners of your life has been an absolute joy. So thank you so much for having us over my today. My pleasure, my pleasure. I'm completely. now going to go and look out your window for about 15 minutes before yeah. I'm forced to go back to London. <laughs> thank you, Dawn. Come back any time. Oh, I will. You'll regret that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that laugh. And I will definitely be taking her up on that invite. The wonderful, beautiful Dawn French. So that's it for this double bill of Tom and Lance and, of course, Dawn French. We'll be releasing new episodes weekly, so get them as soon as they're released by subscribing for free using a podcast app or on Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the love. And if you really love what we're doing and want us to make more, write us a review on Apple Podcasts because that really helps. Thanks to Dawn, thanks to the producers Matt Hill and Lucy Dearlove at Rethink Audio and of course to you for listening. I'll see you soon. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.